0: Our first guest this morning on the show is Lawrence McKeon, and let me take you back to the Hedgeblock hunger strikes in the Mays prison in 1981, uh, the death in May of that year of the first of the hunger strikers, Bobby Sands and nine more. And when one hunger striker died, other prisoners, other volunteers, as it were, uh, took their place and one of them was Lawrence McKeon. Uh, Lawrence joined the hunger strike in late June of that year and he was on the 68th day of his hunger strike when his family intervened, authorising medical intervention which saved his life. Uh, Lawrence is now a well-known author, playwright and screenwriter and this Saturday he's in Sligo where he will launch his latest book called Time Shadows, A Prison Memoir. Uh, Lawrence, good morning to you and welcome. Good morning, Al. Uh, And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning you were in the H-blocks in Long Kesh for 16 years in all, isn't that right?
1: Yes, I was arrested in August uh, seventy six, which was that year when uh, everything changed in relation to prison policy. The criminalisation policy, as it was called, was, was introduced on the 1st of March 1976, which basically meant that anyone sentenced after that period was no longer going to be recognised as political prisoners, which, which they were beforehand. Uh, including Bobby Sands, who had been in prison before and then got re-released and uh, and then re-arrested. Sorry. Um, so it was the beginning, the time I was sentenced in uh, April 77, a protest had already started in the H uh, Blocks, which was Republican prisoners refused to wear the prison clothes or to do prison work, which basically meant uh, we were locked up 24-7 uh, in the cells. Um, Got out for mass on a sunday uh, at that stage we didn't take visits because we had to wear the prison uniform but that changed later whenever the protest intensified in march mm-hmm. 1978 into no watch protest and uh, we decided for the sake of uh, communication with the outside we would we would wear the uniform for a visit and that was the only time so yeah i went in at the start was on the, the protest for four and a half years of the five years that it lasted nobody ever thought it would last that period of time but uh, it did and you, you just said it ended um, with the hunger strike in, in yeah. 1981 which, which 10 prisoners died on.
0: Now the book deals with the, the first five years of your imprisonment which were the most dramatic yep. years as it turns out as you've outlined.
1: Yes. Um, I mean I have written before because I've done the hunger strike I've written yeah. about the hunger strike I've a set of feature film about it and all um, but I'd, um, I thought it was the opportunity of some other people had over Covid um, I'd always wanted to write a more personal reflection of the whole period from, from arrest right up until the end of the hunger strike. So um, so basically, that, that, that's what I did, just in trying to, uh, not just the facts, but trying to um, have reflections on it, you know how I was feeling at the time or how i feel, you been know, 40-odd years later, and to bring in things like family and, and, and such. Like, because that's the thing that's um, very often left out of it, that, that, okay, we were in the prison Yeah. We were volunteers uh, doing what we thought we had to do, but make like, our families weren't volunteers, and they had to sort of sit by stand by and watch. Them. well, they didn't stand by him mean, they were out protesting. Yeah, like, like my mother But, but, but
0: still, must have been incredibly difficult for members of the family to to watch you uh, slowly die, because that's what was happening.
1: Oh yes, yes, and I mean, uh, as you said, that they left my family, in and families were allowed and. Uh, the latter part of a hunger strike. Uh, if they had the opportunity, because some people died very subtly on hunger strike, you could never determine just the moment that someone would die. But obviously, if they as they were still existing, late 60, then they were obviously going to be dying soon. So my family was allowed, and after 68 days, it was actually in the 70th day that my mother authorised medical intervention once we'll I uh, went into a coma. But yeah, I meant they had to come in on the scene. Even before that, they're coming in to visit you, and I mean, you're just. I'm 6 foot 2 but by the end of the yeah. hunger strike I had a 7 stone weight so you can
0: imagine You'd fall into 7 yeah, stone yeah. and I mean what is it like 68 days you were on hunger strike What what is it like physically and mentally or what are your recollections of the later days of that strike and the sort of condition you were in are you, are you conscious of what is going on? Yeah it does
1: 70 days actually it was not, not just probably over a couple of days but it, it's a general deterioration you know, I mean, around about 40 odd days, your eyesight starts to go, uh, seeing double at the start, very clearly double, and then into more blurred vision. And by then, end, uh, you really can't, well, you're practically blind. Or, um, I I mean, up, my eyesight being damaged. It's called nystagmus, which is twitching of the eyeballs, which is caused not so much by the eye itself, but the brain cell that controls the optic nerve and then starts to break down. as the last thing to break down and they don't uh, renew. but... No, I mean, I was conscious, as, as I think were, uh, were practically all of the others right up until uh, maybe the last couple of days or last time I And mean, I had conversations with Alex of Tom McElwain, yep. the days before he died, um, Red Mick, Mickey Devine, others. Um, I suppose you just get into a state where, I mean, any, everybody who died wanted to live. That's the first thing. We're always hoping that there would be some sort of resolution, that there would be something... And then I think it comes to a particular point where you're just so weak, and I always try to emphasise to people If you can imagine being really, really exhausted, and then multiply that hundred times. Uh, so it's not just physically; it's mentally, emotionally, and everything. you are holding on and holding on and holding on, and I think it comes, I think it does come to a point then where you know that that's, that's it's not going to, there's not going to be some magic resolution before you die. But there's a. Mm-hmm. It's a certain peacefulness about a it. I minute. Mean, it's almost like you just, uh, it's, it's, it's letting go, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I was conscious when my family came in. I remember them, all except my mother asking me to come off the hunger strike. And it wasn't because my mother was some fervent um, Republican. She wasn't. I mean, none of the family were involved at all, but we always had a very, very close relationship. And she never used her love for me in a way to get me to do something that uh, I didn't want to do. Um I remember that, but then after that, I, 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 I don't really. Sixty uh, ninth day, it was apparently I was still responding to voices, but getting confused with who people were, and then uh, and then mm. and then at that point, the doctor says you're you know you're in deep and a deep coma, and you're not going to be responding anyway. So it's. Then mm. I, mean, I think generally it would been one right up until the last moment. It, it's just a thing of probably every day uh, we had an attitude of, of we had a get out of bed or at least you had to sit up or you had to do something psychologically if you felt sort of confined to bed you're almost psychologically and um, I think that's what everybody
0: did right up to a point where where they no longer could and when you look back and when you wrote this particular book I mean what are your immediate memories are are they ones of, of a painful time or a proud time or is there an element of sadness because you're right about talking about not only your family but your friends in prison and outside prison at the time. What, what's the overwhelming emotion you have?
1: Yeah, I think it's a mixture of all of those. Uh, now a very significant time in my life, not just because of the hunger strike, but the, uh, the five years of protest before it. Uh, it was a time when uh, the prisoners came together in an extremely tight bond, I'
0: um, maybe even stronger than
1: families, uh, because you were so much together in adversity. Uh, there was a humour as well. I mean, I think that sustained us. There's a black humour, particularly in the North, but a bit more of a black humour and I think, and maybe prisons in general. There is, and I think that did sustain us. Um, but yeah, there was the, uh, the, the terrible times, uh, the deaths, but before that, the, a lot of the severe beatings, the force washings, the starvation diets that were brought in. remember like, I joined the hunger strike, I was... Um, Ten and a half stone, so it was really the two stone under Norwich. As was everybody else it. So it's a whole mix of those. But I mean, at that time, when I was nineteen going into prison. as was the average age of prisoners then. Um you're in your very formative years, and, and for me, they were very much years of of learning, despite the fact that we had no uh, books, um, reading material, videos, TVs, anything at all it was probably the most educational period for me and I went on later to do a degree and to adopted it and all about, about the jail later years, but for that period when we only had ourselves and our thoughts and our experiences um, it was the most educational because you became more conscious of yourself and what opinions and thoughts you had and uh, I remember realising that I was just a mishmash of different opinions you know, whether it was about racism or mm. You know, socialism or whatever you know, these small bits and pieces of ideas you picked up through peers and through teachers and through state and through church and whatever else and you never really had sat down and worked out a coherent um worldview. So I think that period really I don't know for myself when I write about it in the book, it, it really was a period of, of deep reflection and, and saying like what what am I about? what's my values and principles? What's the values and principles of Republicanism, What is this new Ireland we're looking for? Like, how what a United Ireland look? So all of what yeah. there now. It's all, and, 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 uh, t- and taking and, and,
0: take, and taking that into account, and where we are today, all these years later, when you look back, do you have any regrets at all, or do you stand by what you and your colleagues did? And was it worth it? Do you think, looking back, all these years later? Answer. I would
1: always say now is yes, but then it's, it's never as simplistic as that because yeah. it wasn't a. So, you know had a choice you know do you want to go down this way or down Norway or whatever else for us the idea of criminalizing ourselves and just wearing the prison uniform and integrating with you know, everyone who were, you know whether they were rapists or other social offenders or whatever else it was just for us it was it would, it would just be criminalizing the whole republican struggle and not just at that, that time but almost going back um years so i mean we felt very much we had to respond in that way and i am certainly very proud of the fact that uh, not only did I join the IRA at that time, when I was 17, but, but I took that stance in the prison with so many hundreds of, of others. Um, and it's unfortunate, but I mean, because the, the thing to remember, I mean, in the later years, the prison became a very, very quiet place because it wasn't an issue. The policy was changed, and I've always pointed out in talks to people that, you know, behind all of these issues, whether it's come back with civil rights, whether it's internment by trial, whether it's Bloody Sunday, or whatever else, there are people make decisions and policies that then have devastating impacts. And the, the, the decision to attempt to criminalise Republican prisoners has that devastating impact. And it led to all the deaths in the jail, the deaths outside. Uh, I mean, the National Anti-H Block Armagh Committee, and we've got a number there were women on the same situation in Armagh Prison. I and mean, a lot of them were killed by loyalists who, at their trials, talked about being trained by the British SAS, Secret Air Service, and keeping weapons and all the rest. So you're talking about a whole a real attempt to totally suppress that nationalist Republican sentiment in, in the North. And, and it failed, but it failed at a cost. I mean, it paid a cost, and a lot of people paid a cost for it. Um, and then it changed because the policy was, was dropped, and by the time I was released from prison, I'd be in first terms with prison guards and governors. And, you know, the thing ran smoothly, so you can sort of say, well, so why, why did anyone yeah. ever think Uh, this this was a good idea to do this. Uh, But it was a very political decision. It had absolutely nothing to do with a prisoner or anything else It was very much part of the whole British policy in, in Ireland at that time.